0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Scott, your host of the podcast Coffee and Books. Alright, so we have a little bit more to talk about today. Uh, So we have recently hit our 200th listen on the podcast, so I am very excited about that. I never thought when I started this podcast that people would be listening. So for those of you out there who are listening regularly or even just checking this out now, I am very excited about it. Alright, so without further ado, let's go into our latest book. Thankfully, I have been getting some reading done in, and our latest book today is called Destination Casablanca, Exile, Espionage, and the Battle for North Africa in World War II. It is by the author Meredith Hindley, and this book was, let's see, recently published. I'm going to get the date here in just a second. It was published in 2017, And the total length of the book, uh, let's see after the notes here. Sorry, it's a a fairly thick book. It's about 400-ish pages long. But I always like to give you guys exact numbers. Uh, After the film version index uh, postscript, it is 427 pages long. Okay, so let's go over this book. What is Destination Casablanca? Well, Destination Casablanca is a book that talks about the history of World War II in North Africa, specifically the U.S. involvement of the campaign in North Africa. And uh, a very important topic I'd like to bring up is that the film Casablanca was largely based on this. So if you've ever seen the film Casablanca with uh, Humphrey Bogart, it's a fantastic, considered one of the most classic movies of all time. I recommend it. I'd check, I would check it out. I did not realize how much of that was based on reality. Um, You know, considering it's a a movie and it came out about the same time as World War II, they did a fairly accurate depiction, which is insane to me that uh, during the war they actually had a pretty realistic expectation talking about what was happening in this little tiny town in Africa. Okay, so where is Casablanca? Casablanca, obviously, as we said, is in uh, Morocco near uh, Tunisia and some Africa. Um, it's a country; it's pretty small. Uh, so, at this time when the story starts, uh, it is controlled by two countries: uh, Spain and France. So, Spain holds the northern side of Morocco, and the France, or sorry, the French hold the southern side of Morocco. Um, it is a from a colonial possession. And uh, you have all these factors that are kind of leading up to the story. But the main thing to know is that France is primarily in control of the territory and, and is in control of the major port city, Casablanca. It's the most major port city on the Atlantic coast. It has uh, luxurious views. Um, it's considered one of the most beautiful cities in the world. It's called the White City. Um, it's known for its architecture and landscape. Um you know, the book details us pretty well, and I just want to say that Casablanca sounds pretty awesome. Like, if I ever get the chance to go visit, I'm going to be like, okay, this is one of my top destinations in Africa. So this is the inside cover, and I'm going to read this to you here. In November 1942, as part of Operation Torch, 33,000 American soldiers sailed undetected across the Atlantic and stormed the beaches of French Morocco. 74 hours later, the Americans controlled the country and one of the most valuable wartime ports, Casablanca. In the years preceding, Casablanca has evolved from an exotic travel destination to a key military target after France's surrender to Germany. Jewish refugees from Europe poured in, hoping to obtain visas and passage to the United States and beyond. Nazi agents and collaborators infiltrated the city in search of power and loyalty. The resistance was not far behind. Shopkeepers, celebrities, former French legionnaires, and disgruntled bureaucrats formed a network of Allied spies. But once in American hands, Casablanca became a crucial logistical hub in the fight against Germany and the site of Roosevelt and Churchill's demand for unconditional surrender. Rife with rogue soldiers, power grabs, and diplomatic intrigue, Destination Casablanca is a riveting and untold story of the glamorous city, memorialized in a classic film that was Rush released in 1942 to capitalize on the drama that was unfolding in North Africa at the heart of World War II. Okay, so uh, I'm going to start doing this regularly where I'm going to read the inside covers and tell you a little bit more about the author. Meredith Hindley is a historian and senior writer for Humanities, the quarterly review of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Her work has also appeared in the New York Times, uh, Salon, and elsewhere. Henley received her Ph.D. from American University. She lives in Washington, D.C. So, with that said, this book has pretty good reviews, and as for a history buff like me, World War II definitely encaps- encapsulates everything I like about history. Uh so in this case World War 2 I don't know a whole lot about the African campaign. Uh I just want to stress that now that I am primarily, you know, I, I, as an American I will say that I primarily learned about uh you know like D-Day and you know obviously the, the main components of World War 2, but I never really scratched the surface much of Africa. And I don't know why. And then now I'm like thinking to myself, well, this is a good opportunity to kind of get into the entryway for that. Um, So uh, some famous figures obviously fought in World War II. Um, Some famous people we talked about there, Roosevelt, Churchill, the prime minister and the president of the United States. Um, And so we're going to touch on everything, including the unconditional surrender and where that came from. Okay, so uh, this book does a good job at starting out Explaining, like I said, Morocco was owned by the French. Well, if you know your history of World War II, then you know that the Germans, the Nazis' party, and the soldiers eventually invaded France. They took over Paris, and they replaced France with their own sort of government. Um, France was still partially in control, but they were pretty much being forced to collaborate with the Nazis. Uh, So this is an important factor here. Uh, French Morocco was a French colony, and therefore under possession of the Germans after the invasion. So, many Jewish refugees fled, as the book stated, Um, but it wasn't just Jewish refugees, it was anyone who was considered a target. Um, Spanish nationals who were fighting against, uh, you know, Spain's dictator... uh, Franco. It was people that were, you know, communists that were under target, under Germany and other German lands. It was anyone who the government deemed dangerous. Um, And so this is where internment camps sort of came into play in this story. Um, I want to stress that it is different than, uh, how do I explain this as a Jewish person? It is different than a concentration camp. Although they are similar in nature, the internment camps are where many refugees ended up finding themselves. Uh, So if you don't know anything about uh, French Morocco at this time, um, it was ruled by a king um, who was Muslim, and many of the subjects in the country were Jewish and many were Muslim, and they worked and lived in unity and together. And it is believed that the French Moroccan king at this time period actually ended up doing more to save the Jewish people of Morocco Than many other world leaders are given credit. I thought that was an interesting spin on the story. And so we'll go and we'll talk about that. So in uh, French Morocco, like I said, it was primarily under religious rule as well, under the Muslim rule. And why this is important is because if we go back in our history and we study the Crusades and we study for thousands and thousands of years of Muslim history, we see that the Muslims actually were treating Jewish people far different than the way Christians treated Jewish people in the Middle Ages and the Crusades. Uh, So the way it would work in a Muslim country, although it wasn't perfect and not a perfect system, is at the time, uh, countries that were Islamic or Muslim would primarily treat uh, anyone who wasn't Muslim as a second class citizen, but they still had rights and they were still able to work and live in the country. And this is important, as a citizen of Morocco, Anyone who was Jewish and a citizen of Morocco was still protected under Muslim rule. And as a result, when the Germans came sneaking in and wanted and demanded, as the French did also, that uh, refugees be put into camps and be in danger, uh, it was the Moroccan king who stood up to this government and said, these are our people. They follow our laws. This is under my domain, not France and not Germany. So... That's a very important decision, and this definement is actually, like I said, what saved thousands of lives. Um, Also, because Morocco was close enough to Spain and Portugal, uh, these were seen as routes that were possible for people to use to escape. And so many refugees ended up fleeing and were able to get out of the country, and they weren't able to go to, you know, Portugal and take a uh, take a, a ship from Lisbon to either North America or South America So a lot of refugees ended up in Canada uh, A lot of them ended up in the United States Some ended up in South America And the book describes the process, the heartbreaking process Many people who were fleeing felt uh, The roads were blocked with you know thousands of people trying to get out um, Anytime there was a chance that you had the ability to flee or escape you know, The persecution people did and oftentimes they would leave their possessions behind with little else and were just trying to use the desperation to get out of the country, and they would do almost anything. Uh, They describe how women were frequently selling their bodies in order to get out just to get money or just to get by, just to get food and supplies, which is very heartbreaking. Um, Men were often at this time drafted into the military and were forced into conscription. So if you were lucky enough to not be conscripted, there had to be a reason, i.e. you were either a refugee who wasn't considered loyal to the government, or you were considered, uh, you know, like unfit for it, like maybe you were, you know, disabled, or you were in a target category where you were considered a danger. So they usually took people who couldn't work and separated them uh, from those who could. Uh, So pretty much just like any other country in wartime, uh, Morocco did not have a lot of men around. So, Men brought a lot of interest in Morocco. Um, and so the book highlights different key characters, uh, especially in the American military, but also in uh, people who, like I said, stood up and were important and saved lives. Uh, there were people who started organizations that worked with refugees to get Jewish people out and non-Jewish people out. There were people who worked hard and effort, you know, tirelessly just to make sure that the camps were you know well stocked with food and supplies that you know people weren't you know dying from diseases, although many did. Uh, there were people there who were just trying to you know save their own skin, and what the book goes into that too. You know, talking about leaders and military generals of like French, for instance, of the French who were very uh you know like argumentative like, do we support the allies or do we support the Germans? We don't know, you know, because at this time, you know, no one knew. What was going to happen. You know, Japan had just attacked the United States uh, when this occurred, and uh, as a result, the U.S. could have been focused on fighting Japan and could have left Morocco alone. Uh, But of course, the Allies ended up creating, uh, like I said, an operation called Torch, which is what sailed across the Atlantic and caused, you know, 30,000 soldiers to You know, take over the country in less than a couple well a couple of days really, which is astounding in itself. And I want to be clear that it wasn't without casualties. There were, you know, there was fighting. And one aspect I didn't personally know about was that the French and the Americans actually fought each other in this type of battle. Um, One could argue that the French army, you know, in Morocco was doing as little as possible. hurt the Americans, but they were just doing what their orders were required of them, which was to, of course, attack any intruder, anyone who was an ally, um, you know, or a member of the allies. So the U.S. didn't escape this, and of course, they fired back, oftentimes with the intention of defending their own lives and defending and saying, you know, we don't want to hurt the French, we don't want to hurt the Moroccans, we just came here to fight against the Axis powers. Um, So, yeah, that was an important part I want to stress, too. Okay, so what's the deal with Roosevelt and Churchill? Well, this is one of the first meetings between England and the United States during the war. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt, President of the United States, managed to escape the United States and go on a, a transatlantic flight and ended up in Morocco, where he met Winston Churchill, where they were able to discuss the terms of what they wanted to do with the Allied war effort. And so we all know about D-Day, we all know about the Normandy invasion, but this is a good example of just how unplanned things were at that time. Uh, So D-Day wouldn't happen for another year. Stalin was desperate because the Germans were invading on the, the eastern side and going directly to Stalingrad, and he needed desperate help to get you know, from to get the Soviets to push them back. So a matter of a few months after the U.S. was attacked, there was the start of the war, like I said, and then this Operation Torch was planned. But the United States, like I said, discussed with Roosevelt once it was safe and with Churchill what their plans were to coordinate with the generals. Uh, So Churchill voted in favor of the underbelly approach. The underbelly being going up through Italy which was, of course, aligned with the Axis powers, and going up north into Germany this way, um, and so they would take back, uh, you know, possessions. Anyone who attacked them, they would have to fight through um, the Africa Corps, which was the Nazis' uh, German army in Africa, run by uh, uh, Ernest Romwell, I believe. Um, anyway. My point is that Churchill wanted to go north directly from Africa and use it as a springboard into Europe. But Roosevelt favored going directly to France and liberating the whole country directly. And as we know, that's the method that ended up happening. And that's the way that the history best remembers what happened next. But like I said, there's a possibility that life could have been very different from this type of war if they had gone through the Alps and gone through Italy, who knows what would have happened. Okay, so the biggest question, and this is a plot spoiler, which I will warn you ahead of time now, is how did the US manage to get 30,000 soldiers in secret over to Morocco? And the answer to that is going to essentially be the Moroccans had a network that was a resistance movement and they worked closely with the United States government to employ help in getting the Americans to land safely in that country. So, as best as they could, ships flew under the radar and took 30,000 men to Africa and ideally landed in conditions where they could escape unseen. Which is, you know, to me, incredible that, you know, you could get 30,000 people in with hardly the French noticing. I mean, you would think like 30,000 men, that's, that's an entire, you know, like it's almost, you know, a whole army in itself. And those men, they managed to sneak into the island and take it over completely. I'm sorry, not island. They managed to sneak into the territory and took over key various locations off the coast and managed to basically uh, catch the French completely off guard. And uh, of course, there were many in the French who supported the United States. And like I said, messages were broadcast in Arabic and in, um, and in French, just so people wouldn't resist the U.S. occupation. Uh, many were worried that the U.S. was going to get bogged down in occupation in Morocco. Uh, so that was a concern even back then, in those days, that what are we doing in this country? Why are we going to you know stay there? Why do we need to be stationed there? do we give Morocco back to the French? That was another question. Or do we give them their independence? You know, their their leader, their king, wanted independence completely from France. He did not want it to be a colonial possession. But the French, who were considered very important allies, remember, wanted their territories back. They wanted their colonial empire back. All right, so, now we've gone over that. And we've gone over, like I said, there are um, everything from double agents to... Uh, spies who fought you know, on the side of the Allies, who get to learn about some of these people along the way. Um, and so overall, I just want to tell everyone I like this book. I gave it a 3 out of 5 just because I think it goes towards the end specifically just on details, just details of the military and details of the film, Casablanca. I enjoyed the detailed section about the film and the differences, but uh, when it comes to listing statistics, I but for a much more vivid account. So I just want to say I enjoyed the first half of the book more than the second, and that's why I gave it a three out of five. Anyway, thank you for listening to my podcast. This is your host, Scott, of Coffee and Books.